Hey everybody, welcome to Be Significant. I'm here with the great Beth Cook and I'm Matt Rogers. We're uh, we're back to have a wonderful conversation. And this conversation we're going to have may not be your cup of tea at first, but let me tell you something. Uh, we're going to talk with Miss Karen Bird, who is uh, who, who's in the world of hypnosis. And her story, which she went through with her child and her family and what she's doing with the tragedy that she went through, um, was just an amazing, amazing story and heartbreaking, but heartwarming at the same time. So we'll get into Karen here in a little bit. But Beth, we're a couple weeks, this, this uh, episode's going to um, publish a couple weeks after this has happened. But this happened two days ago, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it, because I know you're not a true baseball person in terms of your fanfare. I know you'll go to a Cub game here and there. But did you hear about Shohei Atani and his $700 million contract? So I didn't, Matt, but I heard about it from you. And I, when we started talking about it, I was like, this has to be something that obviously the world of people who watch sports and for sure baseball as, as it's making history um, is being discussed. So why not here on Be Significant? <laughs> I can't imagine a contract like that. How old is this kid? He's like 28 years old. Isn't that older for a baseball player? Well, it is, but he he had a career in Japan and then he came over, you know, he signed a contract, come over here four, four years ago and made nice money. But he's since then won the MVP twice. People would argue that he probably should have won it three years in a row. And he's a rare, a rare individual who hits. He's a powerful home run hitter. He hits 40, 45 home runs a year, but he's also a starting pitcher. So every fifth day, he's the starting pitcher for the team. And then the off days, he hits. So, you know, there's guys that have made $300 million as a pitcher. There's guys that have made $300 million as a hitter. But he does both for his team. So the Los Angeles Dodgers thought the value of $700 million for 10 years was pretty good value for them. I mean, honestly, this is I kind of just want to start watching the Dodgers just to see, you know. Here's the crazy thing. He tore his elbow at the end of last year. So he's not going to pitch next year. He's only going to hit. So he won't pitch again until 2025. And they still gave him $70 million a year. So this speaks to what's changed in the world of sports. Okay. So the Dodgers believe, and there were three or four teams fighting for this kid's services, you know, kind of $500 million was kind of the baseline and it got all the way up to 700 these teams believe because he's japanese because he's good looking he's big strong you know six force 230 40 pounds great personality and that japanese market is so big and here in the states they think that 70 million dollars can be a drop in, a, in the bucket on what they're going to get back from their investment there's so really making it like a return on investment deal like yes. what can we make from the fans from the the, the merch, you know, yeah. all of those, the ticket sales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And they're like, this is again, do the math and it's no brainer from their perspective. Right. And that's what a lot of people don't understand about what's happened in sports is these, these owners are understanding that, okay, if we spend this money, what we're going to get back with the economists and their financial people are telling them what the return on investment is, is just out of this world. You know, it's like making a, a Marvel movie. You know, do we put $250, $250 million to make this movie, you know, where the average movie makes about $60 million, $70 million in return? Do we invest $250 million into this movie and hope that it makes a billion? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because we've seen that. <laughs> and that's really the mindset here. They're hoping that this kid turns around, the $700 million they're investing turns into two, $3 billion over the next 10 years and what it does for their organization. That's that crazy? It's just so much money. And again, 28. Yeah. Can you imagine? Holy cow. And here's what's crazy. Of the 32 Major League Baseball teams, he alone will make more than eight of the eight of the rosters. So there's 25 guys on a roster. He's going to make more money next year than eight total teams. <laughs> I mean, 
however you add it up, it's just impressive. Like I hope, I, I hope it actually comes to fruition, but it sounds, yeah. I mean, right now there's all the hype to your point. It's, it's made making headlines. People are discussing the guy's not even going to pitch next year yeah. and they're already, you know, pumping it up. So more. Yes. So the significance for me is, okay, now somebody's dropping $700 million on your lap. Okay. You're set for life and your next five generations. What do you do with that kind of money? What, how do you act? How do you respond? You know, what do you invest into? Where do you, you know, does he wake up every morning and say, I got to go to that children's hospital. I've got to go down to that, that veterans hospital. I've, you know, I've got to write a check to these organizations every year to make sure I'm giving back, you know, what goes through your mind with that kind of pressure that he has? Well, in my head, I think it's a, how he was raised in Japan. So what's yeah. his balance structure, right? That's anybody's, right? Like yeah. it could be, uh, you know, if he didn't have that solid value structure, it could be, he could go down a different path, which we've seen yeah. professional athletes do, right? Where they just, it goes to their head, they get a little bit power hungry and then either try to come back for it or don't. But um, yeah, he won't be poor ever. I, I don't even think you can spend that much money. In, I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, right. I mean, you got to work hard, you know, in that space. But um, and then just get one heck of a financial investor or advisor that you trust to make sure you're making smart decisions to continue to, to do that. But wow. Wow. I mean I mean, realistically, he can be 40 years old and be a billionaire. I mean, to have that kind of money to reinvest, you know, and you're seeing billionaires now, you're seeing Gates, you're seeing Buffett, you're seeing uh, all these uber rich. They're now saying, okay, I'm going to give a billion dollars to this. I'm going to give a billion dollars to this. And I'm going to try and change the world. You know, we just, if you watch 60 Minutes last night, well, when this post would have been three weeks ago, there's a billionaire who's investing into Wyoming. They're going to do the windmills. There's already tons of windmills in Wyoming, but they're going to basically triple the 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 wattage, the megawattage that's going to come out of Wyoming over the next 10 years. And not only is it going to be able to power every home in Wyoming, they're building electronic, you know, the wires, the electricity wires to run to California. They're going to be able to help, you know, power a million homes in, in California through this who greatly need it. So that's, that's my question. All right. You've earned the contract. Somebody thought you were worth this. Now, what do you do with it? Right. You know? So that, that's what's, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't let us down. And I think on that, it's a great transition. You've already kind of teed up our guest, but you know, one of the things Karen Bird, who we get to speak with, really focuses on is athletes, yeah. right? And yeah. it, it, it's a really interesting story of how it started and matured. Um, so I'll kind of turn it over to you. But I think talking about athletes and becoming significant and what are you going to do if you have this opportunity, you know, or you have a specific gift. Um, I think, you know, our guest definitely takes her gift to a whole nother level. So Matt, go ahead. And Absolutely. Yeah, I was really, uh, I was really lucky to meet Karin. Uh, Karin and I share our, a book coach, our, our book editors are the same people, uh, Kat Margulies. Um, And we got to meet and just heard her story. Um, and I won't go too deep into it because she does a great job of explaining it in, 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 our, in our conversation. But Karin is an international speaker and trainer. Um, she's the author of Hypnosis Niche, and she's the founder of Win With Hypnosis Clinic. So if hypnosis seems a little taboo to you, it's not something that you think is real, or you're not sure it's worth your effort to think about it or try it, I guarantee you Karn is going to make you rethink that a little bit. Um, she coaches and certifies hypnosis, uh, hypnotists around the world, and she's become a game-changing performance mindset expert. Um, so her attitude of a champion Academy, she teaches athletes, uh, the expertise on how to perform at the highest level, how to overcome their obstacles. And I just love some of the things she talked about during our conversation. So if you're an athlete, you're a parent of an athlete, um, 
Maybe you have a job where the pressure um, to perform, maybe you're in sales, maybe something like that. Maybe you have um, huge liability in your world. Maybe you're a lawyer, maybe you're a doctor. Um, what I think you're going to gain from somebody like Karin is pretty, pretty miraculous. So uh, great conversation. Uh, Beth, anything to add? Did anything I missed there? No, I think you you summed it up perfectly. I think our listeners will find this just really a, an amazing, impactful, you know, event just to listen to the, how this story unfolds and it's still unfolding. So enjoy. Yeah. yeah she's got a second book coming out. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to let her talk about it because it would ruin the kind of the story that she's going to tell, but um, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Here's the great Karen Bird. Enjoy. Hi, Karin. So good to see you. Thanks for doing this for us. Of course. I'm honored to be here. Well, you know, you and I share a book coach, and I know you're writing a book, and I want to dive into that here in a little bit, too. But um, you and I got to meet uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was just enamored with your story and what you're doing. Being a coach that works with young athletes every day, obviously, what you do is so significant, so powerful, um, and it's so unique. Um, you, you know, where I grew up in a little town in middle of Illinois, there wasn't those, there wasn't people like you that you could go to, you know, and it, and in some worlds, it might even be taboo what you do. And I want you to talk about that a little bit, but talk about, talk about your story. Where did this all begin and how, how did you get to here? Oh gosh. Okay. So we'll start with my story. Maybe 20 years ago, I, so I have a degree in psychology. And I started, uh, well, I was an at-home mom for a while. And as I was opening up to what's next, that place of who am I now and where do I go when you're an at-home mom and the children go back to school and you've given your identity to be the at-home mom and the wife, I started to question that. But I also had just used hypnobirthing to birth our third child. And hypnobirthing is using hypnosis for birthing. So you can have a natural and easy birth and birth the way that nature intended. And I was about to have a C-section, heard about hypnobirthing, had no idea about hypnosis. Even though my background was in psychology, I had heard about hypnosis. And to me, it was a stage show. It was clucked like a chicken. Yeah. And so I thought in my head, why not try it? I don't know anything about it. And yet I don't want to have a C-section for the third child. So I tried it. It was amazing. Talked to the hospital. At that time, the OB said, if you want to teach hypnobirthing, I will endorse you in my clinic. And I thought to myself, there we go. What a, what a great opportunity. So I became certified in hypnobirthing and then taught that for a while. And about a year or two later, I really realized the power of our mind and the power of hypnosis and how our mind controls our body. And we can do anything that we set our mind to. And so I became certified as a hypnotist, hypnotherapist. And at that time, we had three boys that were wrestlers that uh, were great wrestlers. And my husband at the time was a collegiate wrestler and then a coach. And so I started working with athletes and then started in my niche, working with athletes in hypnosis as a sports hypnotist or a performance mindset expert. And that's kind of how I got started there. From the hypnotherapy. So like you got interested, that's how you got into it. So, so now what are you doing with it today? Like, how are you incorporating that? Not only getting certified, but how are you kind of evolving that into kind of what you're doing today? Yes. So of course, as we know, life never stays the same. Everything evolves. We either go up or we go down. Right. And so as I began working with athletes, uh, our oldest son was an elite wrestler. They were all great wrestlers, but the oldest son just had one of those uh, talents that most don't have that undeniable belief in himself where he would win every tournament, every match, every meet people would forfeit, uh, wrestlers would forfeit because they were afraid of him. And so, uh, he won two state tournaments was runner up for one, the Wisconsin state championships and multiple, uh, international tournaments and national tournaments, freestyle Greco folk style and so I learned a lot from him as I was a sports hypnotist myself. He went to the Olympic Training Center. I have manuals from there. And so I learned a lot through, um, through his successes. Because I would ask him, like, how do you know you're going to win? And so he taught me a bit about mental toughness. 
And as we went through, I became known as a sports hypnotist in the area. I'm also from a rural area, about 10,000 in our little community. And as life evolved, he then went to college on a full scholarship at Shadron State in Nebraska. And he was there about a year and some unfortunate events happened and he was forced to leave the school. At that time, I thought to myself, you know, he was, he was on the track to be an Olympian hmm. and it was a huge crushing blow for us. And it was that space of what do we do now? Because this was his life. This is his identity. Um, it really was an unfortunate, unfair situation, but we were such a shock at the time. We didn't know what to do. And so at that time, then I decided, you know, I can't reach all of the athletes out there in the world. And so how do I teach and train other hypnotists and hypnotherapists to work with athletes? Because I wanted more athletes to have that mental toughness that he had. And so I started to do that. And uh, we did that for a while. And then Going to what Matt was talking about, I am writing a book now. So he did leave college. He then became a carpenter and was extremely happy, bought a house, uh, was in love. And then just three years ago, he died in a motorcycle accident. Oh. And um, so my passion, of course, is working with athletes. I love to see their shift in their mindset when they get the confidence in themselves and now I have a really big why, because every time I work with an athlete, I think of my son, Josh, and uh, what what sports did for him, what having that mental toughness did for him, what confidence did for him, and how I can teach others to have what he had. In the meantime, uh, and, and you guys can ask some questions about that, but this is how my life kind of shifted. After he passed away, I have a very strong Christian foundation, Jesus Christ is uh, I, I have to say I could not have made it through the death of him, our son, when uh, he died without having that strong foundation. At the same time, uh, my ex-husband and I were going through a divorce, which we had just decided 10 days before he passed away. Oh. So all of that, uh, I think, was just this huge awakening. And when he when he died, I remember thinking, now what? Where did he go? He can't be gone. And how am I going to live through this? And shortly after that, just a, maybe a few days even after that, he um, came to me in a dream and said, Mom, when can I come home? And I knew without a doubt that it was him. I felt as if he was next to me. And I remember responding out loud, you are home, honey. It's okay. And uh, he left. And so at that point, I was like, oh, my gosh, I know I did not make this up. That was not, you know, that was not something I could have made up. I know it. I felt him. I felt his energy. And so I started looking into, oh, my gosh. And then I also realized at that same time it was right after he passed away uh, that I had this peace inside of me and I could not explain it. It was not an earthly peace. It was a peace that felt as if it could only be from a higher power and that's my God. And, uh, and so we started opening up to, okay, where did he go? How can this be? How, you know, what happens when you die and just learning more about the spiritual world. And as I did that, I started to have mediums call me, uh, contact me, random things like I wanted to have a session with you, but now I'm feeling okay. But oh, by the way, did your son die recently? Uh, your son is coming to me. I had colleagues and friends tell me that he was visiting them in dreams and messages. And so it, it was really a crazy world, which is what I'm writing the bike book about. And then when I started learning, he started connecting with me. So I do get messages from him. Uh, he tells me things like when I sit down and quiet my mind, uh, I had a room where I used to meet him in when I wanted to meet him. And I would say, okay, meet me in the upper room. It was a dining room that had red velvet chairs from the early 1900s. And I would call him in and ask him to meet me in this room. And he would meet me in this room. <laughs> One time I was connecting with him and he said, I don't want to meet in that stuffy room anymore. Meet me out in the wrestling garage. That's where we're going to meet. And I heard it as clear as day. 
So now when I want to meet him, I bring my mind out to the wrestling room and there he is. Oh, that's amazing. That's interesting. I literally had some friends come in town this past weekend um, from Denver, where I'm from, where Matt lives in the area. And uh, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation today because she was saying that she went to a Reiki and she was talking to me about the energies and the masculine and feminine energies and how they are lined. And, and I was like, so interesting. And again, I'm just asking more questions. And it's amazing. It's just a really a big space of meditation to be, allow yourself to go into different places, which is interesting to learn more about that. Yeah, amazing. As, yeah. as, as the reality of what you've gone through, how have, uh, how have your family and your friends, how have they responded to this, this, this experience you've gone through? Yes. This awakening. Um, are you, are you questioning spiritually or how did they respond when our son passed? Well, a little bit of everything, everything okay. you're going through. It, I mean, I guess the question is more about your support system and how they've been, because the reason I asked the question is you have, you, you talked about the peace that you found, uh, you know, as soon as you told me your story, you know, my heart broke and I, and I have two children. So I immediately thought, oh my gosh, can I even take myself there in a hypothetical situation and how would I respond? And to meet you and see your spirit and see your joy and see your peace, it, it flows from you. So I guess that's that's what I'm curious about is how has everybody responded to you? you yeah, know, yeah. What you've gone through, the, the, the highs and the lows of this journey. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say, um, I could never have done it without the support system I have. I have an amazing family. I had a support system of friends. And I would tell anyone that... Uh, get a support system of friends, people to hold you up if you don't have family there. Because when hard things happen, that's that's where we turn. Because to do it alone is really lonely and really scary. So I had the support system, whether it was my family or my friends, that when I was having a bad day, I could just call and say, I'm having a bad day. And will you just listen to me for a few moments? So there was that piece. Um, you know, what I've learned, and I learned this because I am a hypnotist. So as we know, there are people that think that hypnosis is voodoo and evil and all of those things. Uh, I never, I was never concerned about that because for me, I had such a conviction in it that yes, it's just the power of our mind. Hypnosis is just like meditation where you quiet your mind and you allow your higher self to come in and direct you in what's best for you. And with hypnosis, we have a hypnotist that can guide us through that because many people don't know how to do it. It's an ancient way that we don't practice it. So because I was in that field and, you know, some people again, woo woo, voodoo. Um, I think when I started opening up spiritually, I just, I didn't question it. I wasn't concerned what others thought. And it was the space of this is just what happens in my life is, you know, Josh comes to me in dreams and I am opening up to different ways of connecting with him. Uh, I do have some people that have questioned me, like, uh, you know, the Bible says that to contact dead people is um, not Christian or I'm forgetting the word. Um, uh, I don't know, but it's in there. And and my belief, honestly, is that our God is such a loving God. And he carried me through everything that I went through. Again, I couldn't have done it without him. How can anyone believe that when someone dies that loves us and that we love them and they're part of our family and they're our children, that they go up to heaven or hell and we never get to contact them again. We never get to feel them again or feel their energy or have a relationship and yet we live in sadness and isolation for the rest of our lives. That doesn't work. That doesn't connect with me. That doesn't make sense to me that he, you know, and souls are energy. And we all know that everything is energy. Atoms, everything is made up of atoms. And so how can a person die and just disappear? Like what happens to them? And so my view is that Christian or not Christian, Buddha or Hindu, we all have an energy and that's our soul and our souls are inside of us. And because our physical body is gone, 
it doesn't mean that they disappear from the ethers. And so why would they not want to come back and show you that they love you and tell you you're going to be okay? And so I've had situations where people have come to me and said, Josh is so relentless and he wants me to give you a message. And my old high school friend came to me and said, I don't know how you are religiously, but I have a message for you. And my opinion was always, if you have a message for my son, let me know what it is. I am open. And so um, he just said, you know, Josh has been visiting me in dreams and he wants me to tell you that he's right there with you and he's okay and he loves you. And, you know, those are just such messages of peace. How can we not believe that, you know, that they're there? So it's, it's, it's amazing because um, I don't know if I told you this, but when I was about, I don't know, 22 years old, I was, I was raised Catholic. So spirituality was tied to religion for me. And when I was 22 years old, somebody gave me the book called Many Lives, Many Masters. And I think you and I talked about it a little bit. And it completely changed my thoughts about my faith and my spirituality. And I, I was able to see my spiritualness different than my religious direction. And I love the idea of that book of, of that we're here to grow, to learn, and we may, we may have many opportunities to come back in another form to, to be that, to be somebody better and to help some and help other people and, and to learn, I don't know if it, we're looking for perfection or whatever it may be, but we're, we have the opportunity to keep coming back into the world to be, to improve, you know, every life is a new opportunity. So to me, it's, it's, it very much connects with what you're talking about. And it really it opened, unlocked my mind to how I needed to think about my own spirituality. What has that done for you going through this process? You know, I don't know how much you believed in it, in that there was life after death before no. this happened. You know, what, what has no. changed? Oh, absolutely. Everything has changed. So because I, I go to hypnosis conferences, I went to one conference every year and they had different tracks. And one was a clinical track where you taught about uh, methods and techniques. One was a business track about marketing and how to get clients. And then there was a spiritual track. And that was more the, the woo-woos. And I remember prior to my son dying, I would be like, I'm not going to that track. Those, that's not me. I'm a Christian. Like those are those are woo-woos. And I'm not even sure God's okay with that. And um, you know, they're they're on the edge, you know. And so that was not me. And it was almost like between the divorce and my son dying at the same exact time, because we told our boys 10 days prior to the motorcycle accident. And I had only seen our oldest son, the one that died one time. And so he was still processing all of this. And, and the shock was like, oh my gosh. And I think what I learned is when we open up spiritually, we call it the spiritual awakening. It's like getting hit on the head and opening up to a whole different world. And like I explained to everybody is now I now see spirituality as the whole universe, the whole of everything that is available to us, the abundance of love and joy and patience and all of those things that the Bible talks about, but not religion, because religion is so man-made and um, it's, it's all about rules and laws. And to me, it's human and humans are fallible. We all are. We all make mistakes. And so because you say one thing is right doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's your opinion. And it all is based upon your story, what has happened in your life, how you see life through the lens that you see it through based on your experiences that you have had. And so it's not wrong. And there is no wrong. And a lot of religion is so judgy. And to me, that is the opposite of what God wants. He wants us to love and not, you know, it's for him to judge, not for us. And so the spirituality piece for me opened up a whole world of non-judgment, love, and, and no right or wrong. It's just is what it is. And, and like you said, Matt, like maybe we're just here to learn. Maybe this is a school for us to learn and we get to come back and try again. So who cares if we screw up? We get to determine what happens in our life. And 
on that, as I started to open up spiritually, it was only a few months after my son died, I was listening to um, a conference that one of my colleagues had put on that I had never listened to before. And she talks about how our souls have contracts and they choose when they want to exit this earth. And at the time I was like, I felt like I got stabbed in the heart. I thought my son would never have chosen to leave us. Like that concept does not resonate with me. And it felt really hard. And it, it really was something I had to process. And in the end, when I, when I opened up to the possibility, I learned in my own mind or believed in my own mind and thought, you know, he lived more in his 23 years than I lived in my 50. Mm. He was fearless. He was loving, he was open, he was relentless, and he was all out 100%, 100% of the time. And his soul probably didn't know. Maybe not consciously, and maybe his human mind didn't know, but his soul probably knew. And he lived life like it. That's great. That is amazing. Tell me a little bit about now with all these learnings, because it's like a constant state of learning. So you're, you're always open to learning and taking on and evolving even further. But now I'm curious to say, no, so going back to your clients, like, tell me a little bit about how you're incorporating aspects of these with some of your clients. And, and, you know, maybe again, you can keep the names private, obviously, but just, you know, some of the, the big impacts where you saw the biggest change through some of these methods that you're using to really make that difference, um, you know, kind of that leadership and, and challenge and overcoming obstacles and barriers for some of your customers or from your clients? Sure. Great question. Definitely changed the way that I worked with clients as I started to open up. Uh, Hypnosis is really what we're doing is, is we're taking old limiting beliefs, things that we believed at one time, maybe some agreement we made with each other, ourselves about, you know, I'm stupid because my mom told me I was stupid hundred times when I was younger, right? So we created this agreement that I believe I'm stupid, which creates a pathway. And then things happen in our life. It creates another pathway and a road and a highway and a super highway. And with hypnosis, when we can get back and work with the subconscious or our higher selves, we can put a roadblock in the old way of thinking and create new pathways with goals and affirmations and visualizations and creating new blueprints. So now we create new pathways. And through working that, it creates then a road, a highway, and a super highway. That's something I've always done with athletes, with clients, even as I started. But when I went through this, what you would say, spiritual awakening trauma in my life, I opened up to just, not just, I opened up to the possibility that everyone has a different version of themselves And it's the story that they've told themselves, the story that's been created, that creates their beliefs. And that story, they can change the story at any time. Because, you know, like you, Matt, my story was, I could never live through my child dying. Like there, it's, I don't even know how I would live through it. Like that is the most horrible thing in the whole wide world. And yet, as I went through it, I realized that it was the story in my head that helped me to move through. This is okay. This is going to be okay. I am going to be okay. So when we can look at what it is, the thoughts we have, the inner mean girl, the inner mean guy in our mind, that's the one that is telling us who we think we are. And when we can control that, whether we take inner mean girl and inner mean guy and we say, sit over there and just shut up for a while. I want to work with my higher self. We can create anything in our life, right? We can, everything is abundant. There is so much money and love and everything else in this world. And I opened up to how can I help every single person I work with get that abundance and belief in themselves and confidence because it's in there. They just have to write their new story. And then there's also the piece of many people have had people in their lives that have died that, you know, that they're still so sad about and they're, you know, it's wrecking their lives. And one of my good friends who is very spiritual contacted me about a month or so after Josh died and said, would you like for me to help you go out the back door of your heart and contact Josh anytime? And I said, I would love that. And so I teach that to my clients and 
it's just a method of getting into your heart center where your soul lives and opening that back door and stepping into the realm where those loved ones are and allowing them to love you, hug you, tell you something. You could tell them something that you never were able to tell them before that you, I wish I could tell them one more thing or give them one more hug or see them one more time. Well, you can. And so those were the things that I was not open to before this. And the name of my book is The Unimaginable Gift of Losing a Child. Because to me, as hard as it was, it's a gift. And that's how I want everyone to see it is this is a gift and it's happened for a reason and you get to be a better person because of it. it sounds like your, your son knew that. Sounds like your son wanted to be that gift to you and knew that you needed that. Yes, he has told me that many times. I'm co-authoring this with you, mom, and uh, this gets to be a bestseller. Like I, I've heard it, I know it, I have no doubt about it. And he is has a really strong hand in it. Fantastic. I, I, you know, there's so many things that you and I do that are relatable. You know, I've I've met with seven thousand families about college recruiting. I've actually done seven thousand assessments and hour long plus conversations with families about the recruiting journey. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit about what you're going through in your business and your profession based on what I what I know to be pretty factual and true about parents. You know, I'll have a great conversation with a family. And in the end, there's oftentimes one parent that is just not ready to let go, not ready to accept, not ready to invest, not ready to do this or that. So how do you handle that? I mean, I'm talking about recruiting. I'm talking about bare bones, character building and process building. You're talking about hypnosis. How do you how do you take a family who maybe the mom and the daughter, the mom and the son, the dad and the daughter, the dad and the son are all in. They fought into you. They fought into the idea. They know they need it. They know there could be a difference. But you've got somebody in that triangle that's not buying in. How do you help them? How do you help them take that chance, take that leap of faith to say, let's let's see if we can unlock some things that are keeping us from our, our potential? I love that. I love that. That is such a great question. And it brings me to some of the, I would say, techniques that I use with clients because there's all, we all have different parts of us, right? So let's say, let's just hypothetically say dad's all in, athlete's all in, and mom is like, nope, not going that far away. Um, my baby can't leave me, you know, all of this, right? And sure. it could be mom or dad, but let's say it's just dad hypothetically. So there's part of mom that really wants their child to succeed because we do, especially at that level, right? Like there's part of mom that says, I really want you to succeed. I know it's time to give you your wings. This is a really great opportunity. And then there's part of you that says, oh no, mommy's not ready. I need to hold on to you. You might get hurt. What happens if you're so far away and you get sick and mommy can't help you or you have an injury and I can't be there, right? So we have two parts of us. And, you know, for you as a recruiter, you could even use this method. It's you close your eyes and imagine a small you in one part with the one part says, I know this is really good for you. And then there's the other part of you that says, I can't do this. What does the one part want to say to the other part? And how do you get those two to communicate so they can come together and come to an agreement that works? for your child because this part says it's my child needs to be happy I want my child to be happy and this part says I can't do it because it's too bad for too hard for me so how do we get those two parts to agree talk it out part one and part two you could even give them names sometimes with my clients I'll say you know with an athlete they got this part that wants to go play in college and this part that doesn't okay so what is this part called this part is called amazing successful what is this part called? Chicken baby. Okay. So we got amazing, successful and chicken baby. Let them talk to each other. Talk it out. What do you, what can you do? How can you compromise that chicken baby? And, and nine times out of 10, the higher self wins the, this is what I really want to do. This is best for me. And, and then how do you get those two to come together to compromise? And then that's our solution. That's great. That's great. 
I love that idea of the two minds and the and, and making them talk to each other. I, I want to talk a little bit about your your experience with athletes because in my journey, you know, I've coached hundreds of kids. It, it, it's it's typically it's the analysis paralysis that keeps a student athlete from being who they can be, who, who, where their potential may be. When a kid comes to you and, and they've got the skill set, whether it's wrestling, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, could be diving. You know, Beth was an All-American diver. I can't even imagine being up there and trying to figure out, you know, what happens if I blow this and I snap my neck or I break my arm or, you know, it hurts real bad, you know, overcoming that. How do you get that athlete? What does hypnosis do in the journey that you take them on to overcome some of those fears and that paralysis that we do to our brain? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, what happens is our conscious mind, the inner mean guy, the inner mean girl is the one that wants to critique and analyze, replay the last time we didn't do so well. Right. So when we can take this one, this conscious mind and put it off to the side, I'll teach self-hypnosis where you literally take inner mean girl, inner mean guy, and you, you put them in your happy place or your safe place. And then you work with your higher self, the one that wants to succeed. And then it's creating a blueprint because what happens is our body always responds to what our mind thinks. And so what does it look like when we have our perfect dive? What does it look like when we play our perfect game? And then we can anchor that to a physical response, similar to Pavlov's dog. Have either of you heard of Pavlov's dog? The theory, yeah. right? Most yeah. people have, right? You ring, the, you ring the bell, you feed the dog, the dog salivates. You do that for a few days. You can ring the bell then and the dog will salivate. You're not giving them the treat. Oh, you're giving them a treat when the first in the beginning. Now you're not giving them a treat, but the dog still salivates. There's not a conscious thought saying, I should salivate, I might get a treat. It's the ringing of the bell that creates the physical response in the body, right? So we can take slap your arm before you dive, hit your leg before you dive, create, put that with, link that to what does your perfect dive look like? And then your body's responding to that physical trigger, the ringing of the bell, right? So it's part of that. And the other part is, um, you know, teaching the, one of my favorite phrases that I love to teach athletes is, oh, what the F, go for it anyway. <laughs> and if you did that your entire life and you didn't let fear stop you, what could you truly accomplish? Yeah. Right? Because fear stops us. It stops us in accomplishing so many things in our life. And if you just took a deep breath and said, oh, what they are, go for it anyway. And then going to the, the fear of the not wanting to do it is always the what ifs. What if I fall? What if I crack my head open? What if I don't do well? What if I don't make it to state? What if I don't win this tournament, right? What if we didn't do the what ifs? We did the even ifs. Even if I don't do well in this dive, I have four other dives. Even if I don't win state this year, I'm going to college next year. I still have proven myself and I have another year. The even ifs change the brain chemistry and chemical reactions to what's happening. The what ifs create fear, tension. When we're tense, do we dive well? No. Do we play basketball well? No. Can we do anything well when we're tight? No. And the even ifs, move to a space of, even if that happens, it's going to be okay. Cause what's the worst that can happen? I love that. I, you, you tell me, you can tell me if this is, if I'm going the wrong direction, but I have my kids, my, my athletes on my team, I have them write what I call a vision statement. And, and I start it with, I just decided to dot, dot, dot. And then they have to fill in the blanks. I just decided to do this. Right. And, and, and I've, I've found over time that that's, that's helpful for them to get to that place you're talking to or talking about. Does that make any sense? Are we, are we talking about the same things or similar things with that mindset? Very similar. So give me an example of what an athlete would write. I just decided to. I just decided to um, shoot the ball without fear of missing. I've just decided to give my all without worrying about loss with, without worrying about disappointment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that, those are kind of the examples I give them, but I, I want them to think about internally, what is it, the thing that's holding you back and what do you wish you could just do? And just say, it. I just decided to do this. 
I like that. I've never heard the jump decided to. We do something similar in our sessions and it's writing statements. What I tell every athlete though, and what I've learned is the subconscious mind doesn't hear don't win, couldn't shoot. So if you say, I just decided to make the basket without fear, you're actually, that last word you're hearing is fear and that right. kind of pops into the mind. Right. So when we write the statements, it's always positive present tense. And it's not future, I will, or I want to. It's as if I'm doing it right now. Because if I told you not to think of a pink elephant, don't imagine it in your mind, don't see the shade of it or how big it is. I told you, don't think of a pink elephant. Did you see a pink elephant in your mind? Not sure. Yes. And so what happens is we don't hear the don't. Right. So when you say pink elephant, pink elephant comes in. And it would be, so I would teach my athletes to say, I shoot and make every basket I, I attempt, or I shoot and make 90% of the basket I attempt. So whatever works for them, right? It's the positive present tense statement. And then also right along those lines, I love it. I have every athlete create a, what I call a contract. And basically it's figure out, find three words that describe you that are positive and powerful. So Beth, three words that describe you that are positive and powerful. What would those be? Oh, super. We're, I'm on, I'm on the hook. You're on the hook. <laughs> um, positive and powerful. I would say strong relationship builder. Mm -hmm. um, I would say connector mm -hmm. and essential. I would say no fear. No fear. So courageous. Cause we don't want to say no fear. Okay. Yeah. So you would be Beth. I am a strong connector or I would, I guess connector is a noun. So you would say, I am a strong, courageous connector. Yep. So what we're doing is we're creating a contract. This is who you are. And you, every time you look in the mirror, you tell yourself, I am a strong, courageous connector. Now, when you step on the court, you say to yourself, this is your contract. This is who you are. You step into it. When you want to bypass fear, you want to step into courage. You just say, every time you step on the court, I am a strong, courageous connector. We can only have one thought at a time. So you can't think to yourself, I might miss that basket. What if I mess up? And I'm a strong, courageous connector at the same time. Yeah, I love that. Or you could say like, um, I'm a powerful, aggressive basketball player. So again, that's just the contract, but it's creating that version of you that you can be when you get control of your thoughts. No, I think that's great. And I think having them describe like just strengths. Nothing about anything else, just strengths, three positive. You're just focusing on a statement. That's all their, the things that they know they do well. Right. And then that's just kind of re-emphasizing it's, it's those affirmations. I mean, I always do have people do vision boards, right. And I said, we could start small, but like every morning I want you to go through, even if it's pictures, you know, and walk through like, why is that important? Why is that important today? I'm, you know, um, and really just kind of go through those affirmations that you're visualizing and putting out in the world that those opportunities are going to come. And then of course you drill it down. Like you're talking about, you have to get the baby steps to get to the big steps. Right. So right. Yeah, I love yeah. it. That's awesome. Great. Karn, I think we could talk to you all day long. This is, this is really great stuff for me as a coach. Um, we don't want to take too much of your day away, but we'd like to do a little, uh, rapid fire with you to kind of get to know you a little bit and give you a chance to give a little advice. Are you open to that? Sure. We'll have Go some. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> Beth, you want to start? I'll get it started. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it sounds like you're doing it, but um, just to ask what job would you do if it wasn't what you're doing? I wouldn't do a job. <laughs> okay. Now we're talking. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. What, what, what would you do then? Right. Job, job. When I think job, I think work, I think hard. And so nothing in our life should be hard or work. My, my motto is it gets to be easy. Mm. And so I truly believe if something feels hard or like a job or like work, then possibly you're not doing what your soul wants to do. And so for me, I love, I love doing what I do. I love helping people find hope in the despair and going from helplessness to hopefulness. Uh, so for me, I wouldn't even say that's a job for me. It's, um, it's something I enjoy doing, but I, my hope for everybody is that they can enjoy, especially since my son died, they can enjoy every day because we're not meant to wake up in the morning and say, yuck, we're meant to wake up in the morning and say, what's next. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Reframing. 
if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 21 year old self? Oh gosh. Uh, go for it anyway. I believe that I missed so many opportunities in my life because I lived in fear and not fear like danger fear, but the fear of what will people think? Um, playing small, don't take risks. And so I would tell my 21 year old self, just do it. Yeah. I love it. Pulling the Nike. Um, tell me right now what your favorite book or podcast that you're currently listening to or recently listening to that you're just like, ah, oh, this was really good. This is good, depending on where you're at in the in the process. Oh gosh, that is such a tough question because there are so many. All right. But well, my favorite book that really helped me a few years ago when I started open up was The Untethered Soul by Mo Michael Singer. That was huge for learning that we are not our thoughts. And so anyway, anyone that's listening, get the book. If you're ready for it, it will resonate with you. If you're not ready for it, put it away and pick it up a couple of years later. Uh, podcasts, let's see. I love the Soul to Soul podcast. Uh, I listen to marketing podcasts. Uh, Brenda Burchard is one of my favorites. Oh gosh. I mean, there are so many podcasts that I could name off. Yeah. Those are great. Those, Those are great. Good. All right. Um, do you have a go-to comfort food that that makes you happy? Oh gosh, uh, I would say chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah. Dark or light or milk? Dark. I guess dark or milk. Dark. Dark. Yeah. Me too. Um, what's a go-to movie? So if you just like this is if it's you're swiping through the channels and you're like, ooh, this is on. You you always have to watch it. That's a tough question for me because I don't turn the TV on uh, really very often at all. If anything, I will watch a movie um, with one of my sons or my boyfriend, but I don't really turn the TV on. Mm. So what movie would you go to if you were watching, if your boyfriend or your son say, let's watch a movie, mom, you pick. What's that movie for you? That's a tough one for me. I'm really not in movies. I would say the one that the series that I, that I do enjoy and I'm watching occasionally is Chosen. Oh, okay. That's yeah, that's the series on uh, Jesus's life. Perfect. Cool. Um, if you were president for a day, what's and you had, didn't have to go through Congress, you could change one thing or implement one thing. What would it be? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that is a really a lot great of pressure. Question. If I could change one thing and I was president for the day, it's a tough one without any prep in it. That is a tough one. You know, I don't know if I could, I, I can't think of any laws or anything I would change, but what I would get up and my message to everyone in our country and everyone in the world would be learn how to love yourself because when you do, you're unstoppable because no one can, people can't love you and you can't love others until you love yourself. And so however I could make that happen, and I know that sounds really broad, but maybe it would be about creating a podcast or a movie about when we love ourselves, the whole world opens up for us and then we give, right? And then if I were to give and you were to give and everyone else was to give, we wouldn't have all the poverty we have because we wouldn't be required to pay taxes to support others. It would be more of a giving environment. Mm. And that could take forever, but <laughs> that's my utopia. <laughs> I was just, I sometimes you just got to put in a little utopian. Yeah. Well, um, I really want to know, I mean, this has been amazing, but I really want to understand again, just one piece and I'm sure there's numerous, but one piece of significant advice that you've just like taken with you that you've had throughout the years that you always keep coming back to that, you know, you want to share with our listeners. Well, that when I think about that, I think about what my mom used to say all the time and it didn't make any sense to me for a long time. And now I really resonate with it is if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all because we can speak our minds and use our voice with love and kindness. And so there's a difference between being honest and authentic and being mean and unkind. So for me, if I'm going to say anything, 
to anyone, it's going to be in love because you will receive it in love. So, yeah. Fantastic. I love it. Well, Karen, thank you so much for sharing um, your your story to us and, and turning your your sadness into joy and sharing that with others and teaching others how to be true to themselves and kind to themselves and find the best authentic version of themselves. We definitely need more of you in the world and uh, we greatly appreciate your time and we're excited for all that you're going to do. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. Do you want to plug your, your website and your book one more time and just where people, if the people are, would like to find you, where they can find you. And I know your community is the Wisconsin area, right? Yes. But I see all clients virtually. And so, you know, whoever needs any assistance, I'm here. I talk to multiple people a week, probably that have lost children that especially recently, they tend to find me, which is great. I'm open to talk anytime, just how to move through it and my experience in it. But you can find me at winwithhypnosis.com. And there's a little form to fill out on the bottom. It'll send me an email and I'll get in touch with you. I offer complimentary discovery calls. If you have questions, if you want to work together, again, I'm all virtual. And then if you're interested in staying abreast of my journey of the book, which should be out in the next, I would say like nine months to a year, we're still working on, on, the, on the drafts and the editing of it. Go ahead and just go to my website, winwithhypnosis.com and send me in that message area, a message that you're interested in that. And I will get you on an email list that will keep you updated on the book and where that's at. Fantastic. Well, I know it'll be great. I know you're going to help a lot of people. So uh, we'll be cheering for you and, and we'll be looking for the book next year. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Beth. And thank Thanks you, so Matt. Much. It was a pleasure. This was awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Really enjoyed Thanks. it. Thanks, Karen. Have a great week. Okay. Thanks. You Take too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Beth, that went, uh, that was, that was a wild journey for me, you know, as, as a parent and as a coach and, you know, so when I did meet her and I, I told her, told her this at the beginning, it just, it was, man, it hit me right in the chest, what she went through and what she's done with it and the relationship she's had with her son. How did you take all that? I mean, I'm not a parent, but I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, again, and especially what was interesting is just the um, amazing unique perspective, her son, how he lived his life, which kind of did that reverse mentoring of inspiration where parents proud of their kids in general and typically a parent sees the uniqueness in each child and sees what they're they're offering to do but i mean i think she was literally like her her career you know being a psychology major and then understanding you know just this high level of of grit and this you know mindset that her she witnesses that her son has and the success he's seeing and then also being curious, like, I know you're my son, but how do you do it? Like, what are you doing? And then taking that into a profession, again, during his um, his short life, frankly, and, and then coming around, unfortunately, going through what they had to go through. And then I just think about just, you know, she's getting a divorce. They're losing, she's losing her oldest son. Like, I can't even imagine. Um, and yet how she just really leaned in um, to her community and, and then got through her faith and then got just this inner peace, but then was open to all sorts of considerations. Didn't shun any opportunities that came her way, um, especially on the back of some of those dreams, which you might not give any sort of credence to and really impressive just with how she's just taken this tragedy and just, you know, made it something amazing. So I'm, I'm just impressed with, you know, some of the things she's doing and, wow, it, it is heart-wrenching, but yet so inspiring at the same time, if that makes sense, right? Well, you know, the, the idea of losing a child is unfathomable. And the fact that there's someone out there in the world that has experienced it, knows how to, the word overcome isn't the right word, but how to deal with it in a healthy way, in a joyful way, and to see the the light of that life that was there and and 
and uh, rejoice in the in the time they had with that person. I'm well, just and also to helping others deal with it, right? like through their experiences, and everyone has their own unique journey. But right. uh, hope, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that was the word. I you know her website could be hope with Karen, you know, and it it would would accomplish the same thing. She very much would give hope to somebody that really probably had lost hope. And, and uh, so I think that's, that is more than significant. That's pretty tremendous. So yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you everybody uh, for listening again. We hope you've enjoyed uh, Karen Bird, just her amazing story and um, her book, The Unimaginable Gift of Losing a Child um, will be out in 2024. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I think we all, if, if we haven't experienced that, we probably all know somebody that's experienced it. So just knowing that there's somebody out in the world that can help with that terrible tragedy, if it ever happens, um, I'm, it's, uh, I'm glad I got to meet her. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, give us your feedback, give us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at be significant number four, letter U, be significant for you at gmail.com. Uh, please follow us and subscribe at Apple or Spotify. Um, and we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear from you. Um, thank you, Karin, for joining us. Thank you, Beth, for another great conversation. And we wish you all the best. So we'll see you next time. Be significant. And, and we wish you a great week. Take care, everybody. 